Hi there, welcome back to the podcast. This is Jonathan Edwards with pureandsimplebible.com, and I'm very thankful to continue this series of studies on peace to overcome anxiety. And Brother Roger Gardner's back with us. I was supposed to air these a couple weeks ago, but it's finals week. And uh, leading up to finals week, I had to write a bunch of papers. So some works had to get set down, and I didn't get a chance to edit the rest of this series. But now I've got it. And so uh, I like to keep these episodes evergreen, so it could be that you're listening to this later on, and this means nothing to you. But if you try to keep up with the podcast in real time, I'm going to be uploading both episodes that I didn't upload over the past couple weeks. So my apologies for not putting them out every Monday. There was a two-week gap. And so for that, here is the gift of episode two. And when you're done with it, you can listen to episode three, and you can have part one, two, and three on this miniseries for use immediately. Okay, so here we go. We're going to jump back into an excellent conversation with Brother Roger Gardner on Peace to Overcome Anxiety, Part 2. Let's begin. The, it's like plugging into the computer when they plug the car into the computer and uh-huh. the diagnostic that it gives them. It's like, yeah, okay, it was, a, it was a red engine light, but it's actually really something with the spark plug. I think when we take it to the maker, it's the same thing as plugging into that sort of diagnostic computer mm-hmm. that says... Here's the real problem. Yeah. Yeah. And when we plug in, so to speak, this is a this is our my smooth transition into your second point uh, of these strategies from Philippians four. When we're taking it to the master or to the maker uh, in that rest acronym, we just talked about how we're, first we're going to respond to Jesus. We're going to come to him. But when we're coming to him, we ha- we have to. E, express our needs and, and actually ask for what we need. And um, if, if I could read from Philippians 4, verse 6, and then let you take it away to explain it, it says, Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Here's the big part. Let your requests be made known to God. So what's... Uh, Kind of the, the the idea of this this point of express your needs seems like God already knows them. So why should I take the time to do it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think there's a it, it's almost you could summarize where we are so far, which is don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Mm. And that there is this uh, this example that Jesus gives us in His life where he saw it necessary to, on many occasions, withdraw from everybody and pray, to reconnect. And um, that shows up sort of sprinkled throughout the gospel narratives. Right, right. And um, I think it impacted how then he behaved Mm -hmm. as a human. And not only the presence that he had sort of condition of heart, you might say, but it's also, there was a ripple effect to that. It was the way he essentially set up every room he walked into. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You talked about this earlier that, that it seemed as though 
instead of escalating anxiety, he had this ability to de-escalate the tension, right? I think so, yeah. And, um, um, you know, he, t- he taught very specifically about uh, how to pray, both in the words that he used when he prayed, very specifically on the night of his betrayal, when he specifically mm. asked God, hey, if there's another way, let's do that. Let's go with option a, B right. <laughs> instead of this. Uh-huh. But if this is the way, then we're going to do that. Yeah. And um, again, my paraphrase. Um, but I think it sets a real interesting example for us to be very specific about yeah. what we ask about. And sometimes it's pretty easy to drift into sort of, you know, churchy talk. Uh-huh. Where it's very broad and um, not only well-intentioned, but sincere. Right. But and, sometimes and you're, not, we... you're not asking for what you need in that churchy talk. Right. You're doing, you're kind of sidestepping what this Bible verse is asked. You're supposed to lay your cares on Jesus. You're supposed to request things from the Father, and, but you're doing neither you're just here's the way i think about that and i i say i think about it i wish i could say i practice it (laughs) as well as i should if our kids came to us and only told us what we thought what they thought we wanted to hear Uh churchy talk right uh that would be um not just disappointing. I mean, that would be like, I don't know. I mean, heartbreaking. Yeah. Because you're like, you know, what? Yeah, I get it. And, but isn't that kind of what we do? It's like, we're not sometimes very real. Right. You're stinging me here again. Because I, I re- relate personally to that rhetorical question. Um, and I think it's being obedient. I mean, there's a, there's a part of that that sounds kind of wussy, you know, like, like, you know, it doesn't sound very American, you know, it doesn't sound very <laughs> macho. It doesn't sound very, you know, cowboy. Uh, it sounds kind of weak, which is the point. Because I think Paul makes it pretty clear when he says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Uh-huh. Because I'm real. Yeah. You know, there's the, this is kind of on topic, the, the idea of weakness or vulnerability. And we've, we've had conversations about this together in the past. Um, but for our audience's sake, vulnerability, before it happens, you consider it weakness and it's embarrassing. You don't want to do it. You don't want to be vulnerable either with your friend or sometimes with your spouse. But after vulnerability, suddenly a relationship is forged. It's stronger it's deeper, it's truer, and you look backwards thinking, why did I ever think that, you know, I should just keep this in? Because you you appreciate how strong something is. My best friends are the ones that I've been the most vulnerable with. The same is true with my wife. Our relationship always gets better whenever we're vulnerable, and it gets, there's more agitation in it whenever we're, we hold it in and we don't want to open up. Yeah, 
it's it's clear there's a disconnect. I actually go back again to the creation story when um, clearly man was holding something back, <laughs> trying to. <laughs> and uh, there's this haunting question that God asks, which is, where are you? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't about geography. Right. It was about your heart is somewhere else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're not being real with me. Mm-hmm. There's so much symbolism that oozes from that account because take it back even a verse or two before that when they were naked and unashamed and the first thing that they do after they eat from the fruit is they can no longer be vulnerable together. They have to cover themselves because they feel shame in each other's presence. So, yeah, we could spend probably all day on yeah, it's, it's probably <laughs> Genesis two. It's probably not wise to go. <laughs> Tell me about Peter and how that this simple verse in you know First Peter five puts yeah. it in perspective. Cast all your care upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and our lack of willingness to, in a vulnerable way, cast our care upon him, probably comes in, probably calls into question whether we think he cares. Ouch. That stinks. So it's, um, I questioning now, is is dad going to catch me when I jump in the water? Right. Or is he just going to move out of the way and go, ha ha. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice try. <laughs> I guess maybe there's a thought that someone might have. They're hearing this narrative that, okay, I get it. I'm supposed to be vulnerable. I'm supposed to be telling him what I need, telling him what I want. But it just sounds selfish. And if I'm just, am I turning God into a genie where I'm just asking for my wishes over and over and over again? Is What, what would you say to somebody that has that? On their heart maybe challenge the notion is it selfish or is it obedient mm. because he clearly says cast all your care upon him right and there's the example uh, that that I think we have in different places where people have come to Jesus and they have a very specific request something they want and one of those examples is Bartimaeus in uh, Mark 10 and so it tells us that Jesus was, was headed out to Jericho and a blind man sat by the road begging and he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Mm-hmm. So Jesus calls on him and essentially says, what do you want me to do for you? Pretty simple question. Yeah. Right? Very direct. The blind man said, teacher, that I may have my sight. So the great book renders that statement. I want to see again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, it's almost as specific as, no, I want the blueberry pie. <laughs> yes. Um, now, I get, and I get it in that scripture, you know, here's a guy, he's desperate, he's blind. But, you know, for me, maybe I don't have that desperation uh, if I'm maybe trying to speak on behalf of others. And so maybe they're going to say, but, but God already knows what I want. So I get it in this situation, Jesus asked, so he answers, but like, doesn't God already know what's going on in my heart? So why would I express it to him? So if the directives that God gives us are always for our benefit, is God saying, ask me what you want 
tell me what you want or ask for what you need, is it for his benefit or for ours? Mm. So I would contend that you're right. I mean, it's clear. The statement is clear that God knows. I mean, there's nothing that occurs to God. <laughs> he's, he's already ahead of you, right? Mm-hmm. But that notion of clarifying, it does a lot of things probably for us to say, here's what I want. And I think maybe in multiple ways, it, 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 it pushes against our pride because it, it reveals I'm, I'm being open with the fact that I have a weakness here. I want that, and I see no way to get there. So I'm going to need some help. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm, making a re- I'm laying out there, and I'm making this request. Um, it also um, pushes our dependence to God instead of self. Mm-hmm. And then when it does show up, it makes us grateful. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there's lots of benefit that comes from that simple notion of gratitude. I see it, too. I think about when Jesus says to pray for those who persecute you, pray for your enemies. You think, well, why do I need to do that? But by through praying for your enemies, you actually start to develop a three-dimensional person instead of that 2D character that you you see them as. They're, they are the villain in your life, but as you pray for them, suddenly you're fleshing out this person as, as a human who has uh, emotions and, and motivations that maybe were not as sinister as you thought. So through prayer, you are it is for your benefit to see that person as a potential child of God as well. And I think it also exercises a muscle that we need to exercise. What do you mean? Which is we ask God for something, and yeah, the, the answer may be no, but he's also not going to leave us on an island. Mm-hmm. And he is going to take care of us. And so when that care shows up, he gets the glory instead of us. Well, we've exercised a muscle there which will be very valuable the next time that happens. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because now we've said, I'm, I'm starting to set forth this track record in my mind of God's faithfulness that just keeps getting stronger and stronger. It's, it's, like, it's like those computers that become smarter and smarter all the time and they become more and more predictive. We set up this process where we start to pre- not necessarily predict yeah but we have greater and greater and greater confidence in the fact that God is going to come through yeah muscle memory i like that now you say that uh by specifically praying for what we need it gets to the root of the problem and you use a very personal example but what do you mean by getting to the root of the problem whenever you you're asking for things specifically in prayer um yeah, so there's this notion, I think, when we, when we enter that dialogue, that sort of vulnerable place with God, um, we open up the opportunity for him to kind of get in there and dig around a little bit, you know. <laughs> and so it's, it, the, the result of which is, you know, you're either going to dig up the weeds 
Right. Or you're just going to mow them. Yeah. And if you mow them, they're going to grow back. Mm-hmm. But if you dig them up and get them out of there, that you've made some progress. And sometimes when we bring those real vulnerable, specific requests to God, it gives him a chance, I think, to push us a little bit to say, yeah. what's really driving this? Yeah. What's really, you know, and, and the example that I used is one that, you know, frankly, I heard somebody else express and then I went, oh, <laughs> been there. Yeah. Uh, times like when you're speaking before a big group or you're, you're sort of on stage and there's that flash of things. I heard, I saw this thing. Uh, I heard this interview actually with Billy Joel and, um, he was being interviewed about, you know, this whole career he has of being on stage and performing for people. And he says, there's that moment right before he goes on of like sheer terror. <laughs> Even though he's done this, you know, a thousand times, right? it hits him. And there is a, it, it's kind of an interesting thing. He says, it's, it's a sharpening moment that he says, I think if I ever don't have that moment, I probably shouldn't go out hmm. because there's this moment of like reality focus digging in there, you know, that happens. Um, so th- this notion of being on stage or whatever, and there's this anxiety that right before it's like, you know, where it's like, do, am I going to remember everything? I was like, what, <laughs> why, why am I here? What right. And you might say this like little prayer of, you know, for help and settling and guidance yeah. or whatever. And the realization is that gets kind of dug up there is, you know, is my motivation here to honor God and to deliver something that is going to be helpful or is it to look good? Right. You know, even in, you know, preparing a, a lesson or something, you know, and, and it's like, you, you know, you sort of, you're walking through it and you're imagining giving it. All, those, those are helpful exercises to go through. It's like, okay, is it just so I look good and smart or mm-hmm. is it so that I'm actually <laughs> delivering something in a way that's going to motivate people to want to be closer to God? Yeah. So am I pursuing, you know, the attaboy from the other folks? Right. Or the well done of the Father? makes a big difference because yeah the anxiety that I feel before I speak I, I relate a lot to Billy Joel and I sometimes wonder if it's because I'm just afraid about messing up versus the sober reality of being in charge of sharing the oracles of God um, you, you we've talked about the Sermon on the Mount some already mm-hmm. but uh, at this point in your study, you, you go back again because there's a lot here that has to do with just expressing specifically what you need from the Lord versus those who are going through life without the ability to do so. Can you help us understand that? Yeah. Again, sort of a, a paraphrase, you might say, of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount when he gets to that long section on work. He spends a lot of time on it. Right. Almost a whole chapter. Yeah. And... It's almost like he's saying, I get it. You know, I get why pagans worry. <laughs> it's, it's, there's almost a little implied, and they ought to. Yeah. You know, because they've placed their hope 
on either an, a, a moody, immature God mm-hmm. that is going to be vengeful mm-hmm. and, you know, or they have this entirely sort of physical view of the world, which is pretty prevalent today. Yeah. Um, whether it really isn't about God, that it's all about everything physical mm-hmm. that we can see. Very and humanistic. A, and, or, you know, or frankly, if your view is that we, you know, we were an accident that came out of pond scum. Mm-hmm. That doesn't end well. Yeah. And you're going to have a pretty anxious life as a result of that, which, by the way, I think is one of the, is, is one of the real distinctions that Paul is kind of pushing on for people of faith. And it's the same thing Jesus was pushing on. Yeah. Which was wake up and look at the resources you have and the perspective that I have given you. Mm hmm. Because I've laid out the whole thing starting with creation. And furthermore, I've told you how this story is going to end. So your perspective shouldn't be just like a little different than everybody else who doesn't share that same sort of faith perspective. Mm -hmm. It ought to be diametrically opposed. Yeah. Yeah. And so when I've told you how the story is going to end, why are you going back and, and looking at somebody else's version of the story? Yeah. I think about that with just what our country's going through, and, and we've said it earlier, this idea of people who do not have hope do desperate things, and the, the difference between that mindset and then one that is full of hope. And uh, all of the, I guess, the symptoms that would be produced from a life of hope and a life without hope. Disclaimer. I, I wish I always lived like this, <laughs> what I'm saying. Okay. I mean, this is a, I, I think this is a, I, and, and, and maybe this is one of the, the, of the most important things is that there has to be the acknowledgement of, of the, the people of faith to hearken back to what Jesus said about you're going to have to live in the world, mm-hmm. but don't be of the world. Yeah. I think he is acknowledging very candidly and very plainly because sin, or, sin entered into the world, this creates this tension you're going to have to live in. Yeah. So don't ignore it. Be intentional about it. And it doesn't mean you're always going to get it right. Mm-hmm. But I'm painting a picture for you of how you can live a, with a more restful soul mm. if you'll just rely on me to navigate this. Yeah. About control, in a way. You mentioned that pretty early on, but am I able to give Jesus control versus I got to be in control myself? I don't like to answer that question sometimes because I don't like to lose control. Yeah. Thinking about this context of today and how there is this what we should be as a people of hope around a people without hope it's not just permeating adults you you make a point to talk about how anxiety is afflicting our children you want to share something about that 
Yeah, and I, I think anybody who's sort of paying attention at all knows this to be the case. Mm-hmm. And that um, it's perhaps one of the more unsettling parts of this whole consideration is that I think there is a, there's an epidemic of anxiety with kids and sometimes really young kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's data from the National Institute of Mental Health, one in every three teenage girls, one in every four teenage boys struggle significantly mm. with anxiety. Center for Collegiate Mental Health says that anxiety in the last few years has run well past depression as the number one mental health concern on college campuses. Mm. And I'll tell you too, so a lot of my career has been working in college athletics and, and mental health right now is one of the major issues with college athletes and I'm not just talking about the star football player or the you know in many cases you'll have four or five six hundred student athletes in an athletic program Mm -hmm. they may be in diving they may be in tennis they may be in some other Olympic sport whatever it is these are all accomplished smart most of the time well above this is contrary to what probably is the dumb jock view well above the grade point average of the of the campus. Yeah. These are people who have been high achievers their whole life. Mm-hmm. And they're, in many cases, balancing a pretty rigorous a- academic program with athletics. Mm-hmm. And about every minute of their lives is pretty much programmed and committed. They're a fishing boat with too much fish. Yeah. <laughs> And, and and there's this pressure to from a lot of different sources mm-hmm. to not just exist and succeed, but really excel at a very high level on, by the way, a pretty public stage. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm describing what I think is sort of the, uh, 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 you know, maybe an extreme example. But also what I'm saying is that there are these these kids that you would look at and go, they have it all together. Right. Very talented, whatever. But they are, they're dealing with high levels of anxiety. Mm-hmm. Now, I think you could, you could make a comparison then with Joe Average kid out there who's an adolescent maybe. And to some degree because of, of the social media world that we live on, they too are on a very public stage. Mm-hmm. Maybe not as public as they imagine in their minds, but with people that they think they care the most about or whose opinion they value the most, it's a very public stage. Mm -hmm. And so that that puts a lot of fish on the boat. You know, when I was in middle school, I can remember, that was probably the the most anxious part of my uh, school career. But at 3 p.m., I got to walk away from it. And these kids don't get to do that because that platform follows them home through social media. And um, without boundaries, it's really easy to think that you're on a stage 24-7. And that, that whether it's real or delusional, I could see that that anxiety would just be crippling. You know, and it, it's, it's showing up... Uh than in the workplace too, because when you have that level of anxiety and fear, 
it diminishes uh, courage and ability to initiate. And it's now something that employers are are dealing with more and more mm-hmm. and need to give attention to, which is, you know, how do you create an environment that that pushes, uh, but also makes it okay to fail in the learning process? Has it always been this way, or is it, and we've, we're just now talking about it in ways that we didn't talk about 100 years ago? Or is it that the pressure is that much stronger than it was in generations past? You know, um, I, I can only offer an opinion, and I, right. I, you know, I, don't know, <laughs> I, I don't know the answer to that. Other than this, um, I think we have a tendency, uh, a, a really good friend of mine uh, studies uh, generational differences. And I think we have a tendency to like look at our generation as the one that got it like mostly right, and the others are kind of messed up. Um, but every generation kind of has that kind of view, and I think we have a tendency sometimes to look at quote the good old days. Mm. There was a lot of stuff that was wrong then, <laughs> you know. There there were different a different set of problems and issues and challenges. Yeah. Um. And so there, there, are, there are a lot of, of probably insights and abilities that, that these young people have today, which we didn't have. They also have a different set of problems. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The good news I think we have as, as, as people of faith is none of this is a surprise to God. <laughs> There's no issue out there that's like a new one that just popped up. Yeah that these are issues of the heart, issues of being a human, that that in some cases are, are repeating, you know, in different ways and, you know, through different t- periods of time. And so I don't think we really have the corner on the market of it necessarily being uh, yeah. maybe worse now. It's a different set of, of issues maybe that these the kids today are dealing with that we need to be, I think, insightful and particularly apply these principles that have been around from the beginning right? of how God desperately wants to have a relationship with mm-hmm. us. It's like Ecclesiastes, fix. Ecclesiastes 1 that says there's nothing new under the sun, so it may repackage itself, but some of these things have been around a while. That makes sense. Okay, um, you end this section, the play on words. You say that we have uh, responsibility, but you have it as two words, response-ability. What are you trying to say there as we wrap up this section on we're going to express ourselves, our needs to God? Sort of what we were maybe just talking about or have been talking about throughout this discussion, which is God is giving us these strategies that we can employ Mm. uh, to have a more restful soul. Okay. And so in response to, you know, the incoming that we have to deal with, that as children of God, we do have responsibility. Right. And we have response ability. Mm-hmm. 
we have an ability to respond that is indeed unique and exclusive because it comes from God to his children. Right. Right. I like that. Okay, so we, in the REST acronym from Philippians 4, R-E-S-T, we have R, responded to Jesus, we have E, expressed to the Lord what we need, and now we're in the S, which is study what we should, learning to be content. And uh, so you begin this section with um, another example, maybe just to help people appreciate what it means to study what we should and learn to be content. Tell us about this professor and, and the $10 example. Ooh, a cliffhanger. The professor and a $10 example. I wonder what it will be. Well, you can go to the third episode in this mini-series on Peace to Overcome Anxiety, and you can listen to that right now. It's already available, and it's on the website or wherever you are listening to this on your podcast. So check it out, and uh, if you're on a road trip or if you're doing the dishes, if you're out for a jog, or if this is part of a, uh, what would we call it, a set-aside study time for you, wherever you may be when you're listening. I hope that it's helpful. Uh, I continue to get a lot of good feedback from it. Keep that up. It's helpful for me. With a lot of the works that I have going on, I'm, I'm juggling and a lot of times I feel like I'm failing at juggling very well but I'll go places to gospel meetings um, meeting people kind of around and they'll hear about the podcast or that I've, I'm the one that does it and they'll say oh I've been listening to that and uh, that's very encouraging for me to hear so thank you for your kind words and keep listening so uh, until next week you can go to the website check out all of the resources that are there for you to download and use absolutely free and always remember God loves you very much. And I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story. A story that is true. About a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you. Well, his rules and some trouble.